Hello everybody, my name is Jim and welcome back to another Spanish chat. In this Spanish chat we're going to speak with Zoe Smith who is a very very experienced editor, uh, not only within EOT but also in, 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 in academic writing. Um, she uh, has, uh, we spoke about how many hours she's been a paid editor for and it, and it worked out to be something like 10,000 paid hours as an editor. Um, she has worked for over 20 years with EOT um, and she, she's done numerous courses and uh, is, is an expert in her field. Um, it was really interesting to look at uh, and listen to her speak about um, the editing world and how many different roles there are uh, and how each of them are slightly different um, and these differences are important, uh, especially for people that are perhaps uh, you if you're looking to, to move into uh, editing in some way. Zoe was also kind enough to provide us with a very long list of, of pieces of advice. Um, so I think that you're going to find this very, very useful uh, if this is something that you're interested in. Um, it's definitely, uh, Zoe's made clear that it's not for everyone, uh, but for those that do enjoy it, um, there's certainly opportunities out there. Um, as usual guys, thank you very much for tuning in. If you do like this video, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up, and of course, we'd love it if you could subscribe. Um, I have a number of, of, of Spanish chats for this in, to finish off July, but then I'll be taking a break over August, and hopefully we have some more lined up for September, moving into 2022. Um, but until then, uh, enjoy the chat, let us know what you think, comment, uh, get in touch if you'd like, and I'll see you for the next one. Okay, take care. Good afternoon, Zoe, how are you doing? Hi, Jim. It's nice to see I'm doing fine. How about you? Good, good. Uh, we were just talking before about the heat in the UK at the moment. It's very hot here in Spain, very hot in the UK. Um, so I hope that you're surviving. Yeah, uh, so I mean, maybe I, want, I need to um, ask the viewers to perhaps forgive me if they start seeing beads of sweat falling, into the, <laughs> falling across the camera. So it, it is unusually hot here. Uh, I, I love... Um, well, obviously, we hear you know, heat waves happening in the UK. Like, I'm Australian, so the hot weather is kind of natural for me. Um, and we kind of always laugh. But like you said before, th having this, this, this sort of this heat in the UK is, is, is very, very rare. Um, so hopefully, yeah. hopefully everyone says in the tube and in the metro, it must be absolutely disgusting. Um, <laughs> Uh, I remember my, when I was living in London and there's no air conditioning there. I'm not sure if that's changed. Um, I don't think so. I think people still just have the strategy of like opening all the doors, windows. So, you know, you get all that dust blowing in and the heat at the same time. Perfect. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Brilliant. Well, I, like I said before, thank you very much for being here. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really lovely to have you here. Um, so for, also for the people that are listening or watching, you know, you and I have kind of, we've, we've worked back and forth on some things that are coming out in the future. And, um, and so it's, it's lovely to have you here face to face, well, online face to face as, as it were. Um, before we get into it, I'd like to go through obviously the purpose of Swan Chats, um, you know, why, why we're here. Uh, so it all started with a question, really. The question was, how did I get into teacher training? And from there, 
you know, I've realized that for, for teacher trainers, but also for materials developers, um, editors, publishers, managers, the route's very different. And I've realized that there are, whilst for most, most people, teaching is, is where it stops with an EOT. But for a number of us, and for people that want to stay in the industry, there are many different sort of routes that people can take. And the idea of Spongeats is to give teachers insights into how they might take them looking at other people's uh, stories, such as yourselves. Um, so without further ado, hopefully we can, we can, we can push the focus on to, to Zoe. So Zoe, would you like to tell us about you? Who, who is Zoe professionally? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll avoid the sort of deep uh, psychoanalytic <laughs> Freudian details, but in terms of what I do, um, so currently I work as a freelance editor and writer for different publishers. Um, and in fact, I've just reached my 10,000 hour of paid editing work. So I think wow. that's quite a, a milestone to reach. Um, I'm not sure everyone else has got to that point yet. So uh, yeah, so most of my work is in ELT, uh, but I've also branched into academic editing. Right. Um, so I've been in ELT for quite a long time at this point. So, you know, I'm a little bit tired by sentences such as, you know, there's some water, there isn't any milk. So <laughs> academic editing, well, you you know what I mean, you know, yeah. you're teaching younger learners, that's kind of, that's always in every every book, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm a little bit tired of those kind of sort of sentences and basic concepts. I've, I've got a lot more into academic editing. Um, that's also supported by uh, university teaching. So alongside my freelance editing and writing work, I teach, um, sorry, I just sort of got about the microphone. I should have checked the mic here. Um, yeah. Does it all sound clear at your end? Yeah, no, we can hear everything perfectly. Okay, yeah, so I, I teach during the summers. Actually, I'm about to start teaching at the end of this week. So I teach on pre-sessional courses and that's helped to support my academic editing as well as helping to support my ERT work. So it all sort of feeds into each other. So yeah, um, a mix of teaching, writing, editing. Um, I started out in the publishing sector as an acquisitions editor for a, a publish, publisher in Korea. Right. Uh, and then I became a commissioning editor at Macmillan in Oxford. Um, but then the whole company moved to London. So I had a couple of years in London um, and then I decided to go freelance. So yeah, I had a, quite a bit of in-house experience before being freelance. And then prior to that, uh, I was a teacher myself. So I, I taught for about I don't know, six or seven years in different countries. So it's all kind of interconnected. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I've gone through or gone along a slightly different path, perhaps to some others. Yeah, yeah. Um, what were your motivations? Obviously, you said that you, that you started off as as as, as a teacher, um, and you, you were doing the you know the standard, if you will, travel around and, and teach by the sounds of things. Um, e, what were the motivations to to move into editing? Sure, it's it's an interesting one. Well, I mean. It wasn't so much a motivation, it was actually a pure accident as to how this happened. So um, I had to stop teaching because of health issues. So I sort of ran into a bit of an issue of like, you know, what do I do next? I can't physically teach full time permanently. Mm. So what's what's next for me? So 
I, well, my initial idea was perhaps to return to Korea, which I, where I'd been previously. Um, and I thought, oh, I, I want to go back to university teaching there mm. uh, because a lot of contracts, you only have like between 10 and 15 hours of work a week. So I thought that's a good balance for my personal circumstances. Right. Um, you know, I just, I can't teach young learners anymore. My health isn't, isn't good enough for that. Yeah. Um, so I actually started interviewing with universities and I had all the paperwork in hand. And then it was just a complete chance encounter and a, a sort of bizarre series of events that I got offered a job in a publishing company. And I thought, oh, because I knew... I already knew what it was like to work in a, a Korean company. You know, if you ever ever sort of had any experience of like corporate Asia, you're in an office for like, I don't know, 15 plus hours a day. Wow. Um, you generally don't get any annual leave. You might get up to 10 days a year if you're lucky. Um, the conditions are pretty harsh. So I hesitated, but then I thought, well, if I go back to teaching, I'm just doing the same thing. Mm. And I'm always conscious of trying to, um, you know, do something a bit more, try and expand my skill set and experience. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm quite interested in the idea of creating books. And plus the issue was, I mean, the pay was a lot more than in teaching. So I, I think imagine. as teachers, yeah. you know, salary is a key issue. And I think as you go along, you have to become a bit more um, realistic about your financial circumstances. So, okay, you're in your 20s, you're sort of backpacking and teaching, you're on basically a minimal wage. I think as you get a bit older, you need to think a bit more seriously about how your finances are going to pan out. So by going into publishing, that was also another way of suddenly like doubling my salary overnight so that was a big draw um so all of those factors sort of led to me um ending up in publishing which actually turned out to be quite a good thing um even though it was a little bit tough to start with was it was it as you as you sort of envisioned it doing the 15 hour days long like yeah okay wow yeah so i mean i I typically did about an hour of overtime in the office. I, I generally left about 7 p.m. Um, and the others were working until like 9 or 10 p.m. And because I, I left early, you know, there was resentment there. Um, wow. So there were a lot of issues to deal with. But I mean, I just couldn't physically do those yeah. like 10, 12, 15 hour days every day. I mean, I just don't know how people do it. So it was a, an incredibly... Um, tough job both, both physically and mentally yeah. um, but it, it, it set me up for publishing so because yeah. of that experience I just knew pretty much everything about how to produce an ELT textbook so that provided really good basis for continuing in the publishing sector. Brilliant excellent um, well I mean that's as you said a chance encounter and then it's sort of it's gone from there I mean you've 10,000 hours of paid editing, that's, that's a lot. I, uh, I don't even know how many hours are in a year and see if I calculate <laughs> out and, and work that out. But that's, 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 that's quite a substantial amount. Um, and fr from your blog, I mean, you have your, your portfolio of some of the projects that, you, that you've worked on and it's quite a substantial list there. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot on there. Um, 
So, I mean, you've, you've moved into editing. You, I mean, you, you, you've gone through teaching, you, you've gone into editing, and we're going to look at some of your, um, perhaps some of the things that you've done along the way. Um, I mean, you, you've also done an MA in MA in language teaching, or two, so I'm not, I'm not sure what it was. Uh, and... Yeah, well, I didn't know you knew about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was already over 10 years ago. So I've got the MA in Applied Linguistics. I did that through the Open University, so I was still working full time when I got that. But yeah, that's been a big help as well. Right. Uh, and you also did Delta, right? You, you did your Delta? Well, I did Module 1. Mm. Um, and I came a bit unstuck with module three and I decided to just leave it there. So, right. I mean, it's not a qualification I need. It was mm. just kind of something extra. I think it's always important to set yourself some goals. And that was the goal for that year to try and get the Delta, but it didn't quite happen. Mm. But hey ho, I'm, I'm OK with that. No, no, brilliant. I, I mean, um, the MA module one in itself is, 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 is a big undertaking. Uh, and is that something that you'd like to complete in the future then? Um, I've, I've assessed it all. I think for me, I think the expense of it, I mean, it's a huge expense doing the module two, that's the, the teaching component. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a, that's a few thousand pounds as it is, uh, plus just the intensity of that module. I think it's not going to be worth it in terms of outcomes for me doing that. So right. I think it would be good if I wanted to move into teacher training, uh, but that's not going to be something I'm, I'm planning to, to move into. Brilliant. Excellent. Um, so what, uh, so I imagine along the way you've, you've, I mean, you obviously love what you do, but I imagine you've encountered certain challenges um, along the way. Um, are there any that, that sort of come to mind as the, the big hurdles that you've had to come over or had to jump over, sorry? Yeah, so I think if, you know, if you're a teacher looking to go into publishing, I think the first thing that will strike you is that, I mean, I think a lot of people teach because they like the sort of communicative element. They like the interaction and the dynamism um, with, with working with students, but obviously, in publishing, you could be spending at least nine hours a day in front of a computer with very little wow. interaction with people. So even in, if you're working in an office, you might sort of say, well, hi there, hi there, good morning, good morning, do you want some tea? You know, and that, that could be all your interaction with people for the whole day. So um, I think that's a bit of a shock to the system if you just come straight out of teaching. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you know, as a freelancer, that's partly why I teach in the summer, so I could sort of mix things up a bit. But obviously, if you're working in house on a permanent in a permanent role, you can't just take the summer off to do something a bit different. You know, you're you're tied to that um, yeah. desk job, as it were. So that is a challenge. Um, and I mean, yeah, there are there are other ones. So I think another one that might strike people as a bit strange is that you know just because you're an English teacher you might not be a good proofreader I think right. um, you know you have to face up to the reality that actually proofreading and editing requires quite a bit of training it takes time to develop as a proofreader and editor so just because your first language is English it doesn't automatically make you good at that so um, I think an important way to overcome that is to you know, recognize if you're actually good at proofreading and editing. Right. And if not, um, 
you, you might be able to consider other roles within publishing. So maybe that's something we can um, discuss a bit later on. So yeah. um, we might discuss some of the different roles available. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think another key challenge, I mean, the biggest one is, is like volume overload. So if you're in the midst of a, a busy project, you could be getting in hundreds of files from all over the place. So you, you've really got to sort of keep your wits about you um, and be very organized. And I think, yeah, not, not all teachers are organized people. I think a lot of teachers are quite sort of spontaneous and sort of organic, as it were. But in publishing, you have to be very disciplined and organized um, and be very good at time management. So that that's a different um, that's a type of challenge I don't think you get so much in teaching. Yeah. Um, and yeah, with that, I think you need to manage your own well-being. And, and you know, that's that's relevant to being a teacher as well. So if you're in a really busy teaching position, you know, just as in publishing where you, you've got a huge workload, um, you have to recognize and take care of your mental well-being as well as your physical well-being. So um, I think that's something that individuals need to think more about as they go along. Interesting. Um, yeah, and I think maybe the other one is, well, if you want to work in publishing, you probably need to relocate to a particular location. So right. you know, in the UK, nearly all the jobs are in Oxford, Cambridge or London. Um, there are a few based elsewhere, but you know you really need to move to where the jobs are if you want to get started um, in a publishing company. At least that's what I would say. Right. Um, just on a, a few of those points, um, you say that obviously if if um, publishers are looking for like EOT publishers, do they generally look for? editors or people looking to move into publishing from a teaching background or or are there for example editors and, and publishers within the EOT that haven't been teachers before yeah so it, it all depends so I think with the main ELT publishers that we know um, they if, if you are wanting to work in a in an editing role then they will require some teaching experience so right. you know I mean some people I know just had like one summer school's experience and then broke into editing. So it doesn't have to be a lot, um, but it is really desirable. I mean, you need to demonstrate knowledge of the industry and how teachers are going to use the materials that you're developing. So, yeah. you know, it's an important skill. Um, however, there are other roles in publishing, in a publishing house that don't necessarily require teaching experience. So if we take, for example, project management. Mm. So a project manager is needed in every publishing project. So they might be responsible for the schedules. So they will organize the schedules, say that we can deliver you know, X and X component or X and Y component um, to certain dates. They will set up like things like the typesetters. Um, they will set up recording studio bookings. Yeah. So, you know, none of that needs any knowledge of um, ELT teaching specifically. Mm. Um, so it depends on the role. But, yeah, I mean, that, that project management role, maybe that's something teachers haven't considered before. Um, and that's quite transferable to other companies as well. So project management skills are in demand 
across multiple sectors. It doesn't have to be an ELT or ELT publishing, um, but that's something that some people find that they get hooked on that and, and right. that becomes their niche. So yeah, that's, that's something else um, teachers could consider. Brilliant. Now you mentioned also, um, you know, perhaps teachers themselves, you know, if they are good at editing or, and proofreading and so on, um, there is a need to obviously build on the, that, that skill set. And from my understanding, there are a number of, of courses or proof editing or, or copy editing uh, courses that are available. I mean, imagine from, from your blog, it seems like you've, you've done quite a substantial amount of training uh, in, in this area. Um, are there are, are these things worthwhile for teachers that are looking to move into in, in editing or uh, are they sort of only for, for the professionals doing it for a sort of long time? What's the what's what's your recommendation there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are two routes in, into this. So, you know, if you're looking to move in house and work within a publishing company, um, you know, in the interview, you will be given a test, an editing test. So they'll be looking to see. Um, your comments about that text they will be looking maybe you need to make some markups where you're changing some of the language so you'll be given an editing test and that will be the basis of selection if you're going to work in-house uh, for a publishing company so you don't necessarily need to have a lot of editing training to do that kind of test you just need to have the awareness and know-how so when you're working in-house um, you will be a development editor, or you might be a development editor, and your role will be more about quality assurance and checking the ideas fit the concept. So you won't be bogged down with doing lots of proofreading and copy editing. That will be outsourced to the freelancers. So if you're in the in-house role, training and editing, you don't actually get much of it in-house. It's just something that sort of might coincidentally occur. But yeah, if you're going on to be a freelance editor, then it's important to, again, I think it's just about setting yourself goals as a freelancer. I mean, you could, as a freelancer, you can end up like drifting and um, not really having a lot of focus. So I think it's important to think, okay, well, this year I'm going to aim towards, you know, reading this book or taking that course yeah. and sort of incrementally building it up. But yeah. I mean, there's a lot of textbooks available quite inexpensively on editing that you can get. Um, and there are some organizations and courses um, that you can take some short certified courses with. I mean, they're not essential to getting work. Um, I think it's more about your own sense of personal development. But I mean, they can, they can potentially add a few strings to your bows um, and could perhaps make you a bit more competitive. But I think more than anything, um, it's the experience, just having practical on ha um, hands-on experience is much more valuable yeah. um, than taking an editing course. But yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend supplementing any editing with reading books or yeah. um, taking training courses as, as time goes by. Brilliant. Um, so before we get into sort of the advice section, I have a, a few more questions. Um, I suppose you mentioned freelancing and you've obviously worked for companies for, for, for many years and then you made the decision to go freelance. Uh, wh what were the motivations behind that? And um, I mean, is, is it worthwhile in a sense? To, uh, I mean, imagine if you're still doing it, it's, 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 there must be pros and cons of going freelance, I suppose. Yeah, so... 
I mean, my circum—I mean, there were a, a set of circumstances, but yeah, I was with Macmillan at the time. I really loved um, working for Macmillan for my first year in their Oxford office, uh, but then they relocated to London, so I was never really sort of vested in the London scene. Right. Um, plus, I had a partner who lived outside of London, so I mean, sort of every fortnight I was commuting to and fro, and there was just a set of circumstances in the office that it just told me that I need to get out of this position. Um, I just don't know how I can solve or resolve the circumstances there. So I decided to go freelance. I had no plan for it. Um, I didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I started freelancing and thankfully it's all worked out. Thankfully that the work has just kind of snowballed in. It's, it's, it's been remarkable. I've been very, very lucky in that sense. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there have been certain challenges. Um, yeah. And I think it was about maybe six months into freelancing, I woke up and I thought, crikey, it's like I'm running my own business. It's like <laughs> I'm managing a business. Like I'm, I, I need to manage a business. So that was a, a actual kind of realization moment that I realized that, you know, I need to treat this seriously. Mm. I, I want to create some kind of sort of brand image. Um, I, I want to create a website. I need to raise my profile. So I need to be sort of seen as it were. I mean, it's not like showing off or, you know, um, I don't know, posting a hundred times a day on say LinkedIn, but you need to have some sort of visibility. Otherwise no one's ever going to know that you're there offering services. So yeah, thinking about the practicalities of being in business. So you know, you're marketing yourself. So you, you, you need to develop some marketing acumen. You need to think about finances. So you need to sort of think about, well, which jobs are going to bring me in more money? Um, which jobs are going to prove more advantageous for the longer term? Right. Um, and there's, whole, there's a whole thing around time management. So yeah, the, the thing is your whole life um, just suddenly gets determined by um, deadlines so that that's what it feels like that's that's a real sort of toughness about working in particular with with editing so yeah. um, the deadlines are really tough um, and I think yeah going back again to that issue about mental health so I know I'll, I'll put a shout out to Rachel Roberts who mm. runs a, a fantastic group for ELT professionals in the area of sort of mindfulness and well-being um, that's become quite a big area, as I mentioned before. So, you, yeah, you need to think about the impact of all these deadlines just constantly going on and on through your week. Um, and I think that the, the idea that freelance is, you know, you, you're free and you can work from a beach, you know, somewhere, uh, that's, that's really a myth if you're to take this seriously. So, yeah. I mean, for example, can you imagine working on your laptop on a beach? You know, you've got the sun shining on a screen, you've got a reference, you know, answer keys, uh, audio scripts, a teacher's book, an online component all at once. Um, so that's not practical. It's doable, um, Zoe, it's doable. We'll make it work, okay? <laughs> we'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> I think but, I just need to put a green, like if I had a green screen of a, a beach yeah. or something, that, that might <laughs> compensate in part. So yeah, freelance isn't free. 
it is pretty tough going to make it work. And, you know, you don't have a, a consistent income from month to month. So if you're teaching with a school, you know, you're going to get a fixed salary every month. You're going to get a fixed holiday yeah. allowance. Uh, but, yeah, planning for holidays is nearly impossible. Um, so, yeah, you've got to sort of think about, you've got to maybe sort of change your business as you change or as time goes along right. to make this work. So, yep. yeah, it's, it's, it's tougher than it looks. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, you mentioned before, for example, blogging, and, and obviously you've done the MA and a number of other qualifications. Um, I mean, maybe if we can focus on, on two specifically, the MA and, and, and blogging. Um, the MA, do you think the MA at all helped you become an editor? Um, I imagine at least in terms of technical knowledge for, for, for language teaching, it must have and applied linguistic it must have, it must have helped with it with that i imagine with editing not uh, so much i'm not sure i'll let you into a secret so no it hasn't right um, <laughs> no I, it's been it's been really great for getting my foot into interviews so i can tell you that but i think um you know I mean, the, the ma was taken a long time ago now i took it more than 10 years ago mm. and i think you know, this issue can happen with teachers as well. You can have really experienced teachers, but they just run out of ideas. They don't have fresh ideas. So you can have like a really young teacher who has only got the cell to like a year or two ago, and they could be really great because they're energized, got lots of right. new ideas. They don't necessarily have all the sort of theory behind them, but they can really make it work. So I think the same has been in my case that, you know, the MA now is a bit old hat. Um, it, it was useful for me um, because I think, well, my, my undergraduate degree was in architecture. So I didn't have to read a single book um, on that course. So academically, I was a bit lacking. So the MA sort of brought a bit more sort of academicism into my, into my right. life as it were. Um, and it, it just provided a good sort of hook to get into interviews. Um, but I would say, you know, I could have, done without it professionally um, I could have managed um, it hasn't been essential for that and I think if you I mean you know if you look at the authors of ELT course books the first thing you well you're not going to look at are their, their qualifications no one cares about the qualifications you know it's mm. it's can they write a good book yeah. you know can editors edit well uh, qualifications become a bit immaterial at the end of the day right Interesting. And you, your, your blog or your experience blogging, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if, uh, if you saw that. Maybe you participated. I, I, I sent out a questionnaire some time ago about blogging in EOT. Um, not just for teachers, I was corrected on that, but EOT professionals. Um, and, you know, one of the questions was, has your blog helped with employment or has it sort of helped you present yourself to employers not in the sense that it's gotten you a job but that it's that it's been one of those tools that you could bring to the interview would you say that the blog has has helped in that respect uh, I, I think the key thing in my case is as you mentioned calling it like a, a tool so I think it's been useful for example if I've had some um, client query then it's been really useful just to point them to the portfolio page. So you mentioned the portfolio page at the beginning. So that's just really useful to have there online. Anyone can just see 
at a click of a you know a click of a mouse or whatever because you can't really present all that information on a CV. Right, so yeah. it's been useful, and I think you know I'm I'm actually not a big blogger, but I think it's just useful sometimes to reflect on things that have been going on in your own work, yeah. and then think well maybe how could I write something that's going to be useful to someone else so maybe someone's looking for a list of editing books so I, I produced a blog post um, listing out all my recommendations for editing books um, it's just a sort of time to time thing for, for me but I mean I'd say for anyone who's looking to move on out of teaching a blog can be really really useful mm. so publishers do come across um, individuals' blogs. Um, and sometimes they think, wow, this person's getting a lot of traffic and they've actually got some really interesting ideas. Maybe we could approach them to do some writing for us. So yeah, I've known a few people who've, who've got into publishing through their blogs. So again, I, I think it depends on how, how serious you want to take this. So yeah. if you've got a real professional mindset and you want to grow, and you want to expand into other areas, um, a blog could be a really good tool um, and might just even, even if it's not updated regularly, just somewhere where people can go and find You're out visible. a bit more about you, um, yeah. I think is, is really useful. So, Excellent. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Um, right, so let's so, get to the... I, I mean, I, I think you, you maybe have more insight of what it's like to run a blog yourself because you you post a lot more than i do yeah i mean i i, I just like i i like i, I mean I, I like to i started i didn't start the blog with with the thought in mind for work you know it wasn't okay i'm gonna do this so i can get a job or it wasn't so i'm gonna i'm gonna make myself visible no i had ideas that i wanted to share uh that focused on teaching at the time uh and my experience with delta and, and things like that and then it sort of just snowballed into a bit of everything now um so 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 yeah and I, I just really enjoy it um i find that the more that i i contribute the more that i get back from not only from from, from people that read the blog but other bloggers as well uh i've, I've built up a, a massive community of, of people that i that i speak to often you know about certain things and and it's, it's actually landed me opportunities for work so for example now i work for cambridge university press and cambridge assessment as, as a freelance teacher trainer and, um, you know, one of the reasons was my conferences, but one of the, the things that, that was kind of sealed the deal was my blog. And it was, you know, that, that it, it has helped me. Um, so I'm very, I'm very glad that I made that decision, you know, many, many years ago to, to, to take it on. Yeah, and I think another aspect I think you, you've got to think about is that um, publishers like people who are going to promote their own work. So, mm. you know, if you've authored something and you're a regular blogger, you're probably going to write about the work that you've done. Yeah. So it's kind of offering free promotion for the publishers as well. So publishers yeah. are very attracted to blogs for that reason as well. Yeah. Something that's just occurred to me, um, your actual job as, as, a, as an editor, as, as a copy editor and as a proofreader, uh, where are you in the process? So, for example, when there's when there's a course book that's written, I imagine there's the brief that's sent out to the writers. Then, then the writers do their stuff. They get blah blah blah. They write their stuff, and then it comes to you. Is that is that is that the next part? 
um, or or does it go through the publisher a few times and then it's sent to you for copy? How, how does it work? Yeah, it, it all depends on the project and it all depends on how uh, much time or how little time the in-house staff have to, to handle it. So, I mean, I mean, these days, I, I think, as I saw in your interview with Karen and Sue, you know, mm. these days, publishers are keen to get books out as quickly as possible. So generally what will happen, as you said, yeah, the, the authors will get briefed. Um, they will start to write something. And then the first person who will see it is the um, development editor. Right. So the development editor could be freelance or it could be in-house. So the development editor is involved in shaping the content. So if it's like if the topics are not great and the development editor has some ideas how they could be improved, the development editor will feed back to the author with those ideas. The development editor will also be checking for things like market appropriateness, age appropriateness, okay. level appropriateness. So they have quite a big role in, in shaping the content. So they might be dealing directly with the authors going to and toing and froing um, through various drafts to get that done. So once all the content is determined as complete and usually um, in-house will decide when it's uh, complete, then it will go to a copy editor or in the US, they sometimes call them, call them a, a line editor. Line. So they will then have to make the text consistent with other levels. So if other levels are using like um, look at the picture, select the best option, you know, that kind of wording they need to ensure Consistency. is consistent across the, right. the levels. So that's the copy editor or line editor's job. Mm. And then you've got the proofreader who's purely checking for remaining like spelling and grammar issues um, or if if it's an Americanizer, they will be checking that the language is appropriate for American audiences. So yeah, different lines of different levels of editing, content development, uh, copy editing, yeah. and then proofreading. And then after the work is published, you even have like a, a cold reader who will check that everything's been typeset correctly um, and that there are still no errors in the book. Because I'm, I'm sure we've all seen books that have been published and they're still they've still got errors in them. Yeah. So um, yeah, different levels of editing, um, also different pay rates, and also, you know, different levels of expertise. So of not everyone who proofreads maybe are confident to do content development. Mm. Um, so again, you need to think about your skill set area. And again, you know, if you're a content developer, you don't need to worry about proofreading. So that's where all the, that's where I said all oh, the, the training and the editing um, certif yep. certifications are not so important. So, right. you know, it depends on your skill set, but those are the, the main editing roles um, in working on a, on a project. There's so much more than I actually realized. Um, yeah. I see, even the, even the difference between, for example, a copy editor and a proofreader, I think the general idea, at least mine, before I started sort of researching and understanding it, have the things is um and I, I i did some some, some proofreading work uh, uh, some time ago on on, on some work but and it, that was kind of proofreading but also looking at the difference you know making things consistent and other things very very oh, well, very well that that's the new role so the latest term is proof editing so again editing, publishers right. who are just like <laughs> in a rush to get everything out they might sort of merge the roles. so 
it's really important when you start. I think, I, I don't know who was talking about briefs. I think that was Karen or Sue. So it's really important that you have a very clear brief right. um, at the start of any project in, in terms of what your, your remit on that project is. Right. That's a, uh, well, so much in there. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of opportunities though. Um, and speaking about opportunities, so let's say you have um, teachers. Uh, we're, I suppose we're looking at teachers now. I, I, I'm, these are obviously focused at EOT professionals. Um, I find it difficult that people that aren't with an EOT are going to see these videos, but so let's maybe focus on teachers now. If teachers find that um, they've been teaching for a while, they, but they, 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 they've heard about editing or materials writing, and maybe they realize perhaps content development is not for them. Maybe they like the editing route. Um, or, or the project managing route. Or I the project managing. So I suppose I have a few things. What would be your advice for them? From two aspects. One would be getting experience and two, where to start. Um, do you have any points of advice for, for, for those points? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of advice, but I think it goes back, you know, earlier I said, you know, there are two routes. Either you want to move in-house um, with a publisher as your employer, or you want to maybe combine teaching with materials development mm. and editing. And, you know, you, you were talking about, you're worried about we're excluding other types of teachers, but this is just as applicable to schools teachers. I mean, there's mm. a lot of work available in mm. schools publishing these days. Um, so it's kind of the same type of advice. So yeah, if you if you want to go in house, I think just start applying um, to in house roles when you see vacancies pop up. But I think yeah, be clear on what your background is and that you can okay. you know have you can offer the skills for that role. So you know collect worksheets that you've made, sort of try and bring together some kind of portfolio around mm. materials that you've made. Um, Actually, I'm going to go through a list here. Is that, is that all right? Hit me. Okay. So um, I think so. That there's that aspect. Yeah, just go ahead and start applying. That could be one way about it. Um, if you want to combine teaching with some writing or editing on the side, then it's maybe a, a slightly more um, complex process in terms of the, the sort of the experience path that you go through. So okay. I think, first of all, it, it's really good to find out about the industry. So such as, you know, we're discovering now that there are different types of editing roles. You know, that's probably something most teachers aren't aware of. So hmm. learn about the industry. Um, what does it actually or what is actually the the way to create and deliver a manuscript uh, to a publishing company? Yep. So how does it actually work? I think people would be surprised at how things actually work. So try and find out about that. Um, find out about the different types of editing and publishing roles. So as, as we've said, you know, you might not necessarily do proofreading, but there are other roles available. Think about your own specialist area. I mean, I don't have a niche, which is a disadvantage, but, you know, you said, for example, you you are um, involved with Cambridge assessment in terms of teacher training, which I assume is on the exam side. So mm. perhaps say you've been an IELTS teacher, you know the IELTS exam inside out, you know, that could be your specialist area. Right. Uh, maybe you've taught in the Middle East, that's quite a high demand specialist area. 
Mm. Um, you know, publishing for the Middle East markets is very, very specific. So if you've had first-hand experience teaching in the Middle East, you know, you could really offer a lot um, to publishers there. Maybe you've had experience with autistic learners, you know, or people with um, dyslexia. Yeah. That could be a specialism that you work on um, in terms of published materials. Mm. Um, or maybe you're just really good at typing, you know, the IPA phonetic script. So, you know, that could be something that you, you specialize in. So think about your specialism if you have one, uh, because that can really help. Um, and I think that a key thing is, is just networking. So find out who's working in publishing, um, attend conferences, go and visit the publisher stands. I mean, every country has, you know, um, ELT conference events and publishers are always there. Um, I think just be aware though that some of the publishers attending, they, they send these sales reps as opposed to editorial staff. So you right. might not be connecting directly with the, the people who matter in-house in terms of assigning work. But I mean, as we've suggested, you know, if you've got a website, get some business cards, you know, tell them that you're interested in connecting with the in-house team, um, you're keen on writing or editing, you know, hand over your business cards with your website on, that's, that's really good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are lots of groups that you can join. So I think the best one, at least if you're in the UK, is the Morzig group. Mm. So that's the Materials and Writers Special Interest Group of the IATEFL organization. So, I mean, they have really good um, networking events, both online and face-to-face. You know, you can participate, you know, get your get your name out there, get yourself known, find out who's who. And don't be afraid to ask people questions when you attend these groups or join these groups. Um, another group that's worth getting involved in, if you're serious about wanting to take on um, more work, even if you're, you're quite a novice um, at this, is joining the ELT Publishing Professionals mm-hmm. Group. So Karen and Sue, who you've um, who you've had a chat with previously, they run that group. So um, you pay about £50 a year, but you can have a listing in the directory. Um, and I think that's really helpful. And another group I'll give a shout out here to, I have to be, have to apologise if I get the pronunciation wrong, to um, Atena Jusko. Mm. So she runs the ELT Freelancers Hub Uh, Facebook page and that's a really good page to ask questions and to keep an eye out on job spots because I think you know these days it's not just about the big publishers there are lots of different types of um, ELT publishers out there so particularly with the pandemic we've had a lot of online companies looking for people to help support in the creation and editing of materials. Mm. So, you know, don't just think about the obvious publishers. There's lots of different companies out there. Mm. So, yeah, you probably have to start small before you move up to the bigger groups. But, I mean, you know, the smaller groups can be pretty good um, and offer some interesting positions. And, you know, talking of the pandemic, I think these days, you know, another area that teachers could consider is something like, you know, UX design, so user experience design. You know, it's, it's quite a different area from teaching, but a lot of teachers now are quite tech savvy um, and they might be interested in helping to develop 
tech products for education companies. So that's another role. I'm getting through quite a few items here, so hopefully <laughs> we can keep track of them. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's networking, 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 joining groups, understanding the industry, so find out about the different roles. Also, you've got to think about the business aspects, so find out about pay rates, um, find out what's, what's fair, you know, I, th I don't think a lot of teachers think about that if they're developing materials because they probably just, you know, develop materials unpaid for their, their own school and their own teaching, yeah. um, so that's another area. Plus, um, something else really important is to um, be good at Word and Adobe Acrobat. So, you know, if you can use Word well, that's really important. Otherwise, you're going to take a long time um, working on a manuscript. So you need to know yeah. the sort of tips and tricks there. Um, and another thing I would recommend is maybe to find like an eddy buddy or a, a writing buddy. So find someone who's at a similar stage to you in terms of, you know, wanting to develop more as a writer or an editor, partner up with them, um, you know, get feedback from them on your own work. Uh, because I think, you know, as a teacher creating materials, we often work in our own sort of bubble. We, we don't get feedback even from students about yeah. our worksheets that we create and so on. So it's quite hard to develop and know how we can um, do better. So yeah, partner Excellent. up with someone who, who might be interested in the same thing as you. So that sounds, that sounds like a really good advice. Um, yeah. uh, just finally last one, uh, LinkedIn. So I think LinkedIn is actually where I get most of my work from, from people who I don't know. So really? rather than the, the blog or the website, which you asked about earlier, LinkedIn has been a really, um, important source for me so yeah having a good profile on there you know commenting on other people's posts and again finding people with similar interests is, is really has been really helpful for me and then just final final because I saw on your table um, something else you could consider as a stepping stone is writing for um, you know magazines or journals so most of them are unpaid but I mean it can be a good outlet to, yeah. to get seen and to professionally formulate um, some of your ideas from teaching. And again, some publishers do read these um, journals and magazines and you know that's how they can discover new talent as it were. Yeah, brilliant, excellent. I haven't actually received mine. This is, this is the last issue. Oh, right, yes. Right. I, haven't, I haven't received mine yet, but, uh, um, but uh, I'm waiting for it, hopefully soon. Uh, well, massive amounts of advice there. Um, and I mean, you, you've given very, very clear pointers. Um, as I said, it's like a very, very clear thing, uh, at least loads of advice to, to get started. Um, I imagine putting everything into practice takes time and work, but uh, thank you very much for, for those bits of advice. Um, now, in terms of, you know, we, we spoke about things that you can do sort of by yourself, and that's generally books, I suppose. Um, are there any sort of two or three book recommendations that you have that sort of come to mind is okay this is a good book to read if you're looking to get into editing or copy editing or proofreading are there sort of any that and i'm, I'm assuming it's not going to be the apa seventh edition as you uh, in one of your blog posts that you mentioned <laughs> it was very interesting i had a look through it. it was very interesting um but are there any others that perhaps that that, that you would recommend um to people looking or professionals looking to move into that 
Yeah, so I mean, the, the APA becomes important if you move into academic editing. But, but yeah, for ELT editing, I mean, I'd actually go back before editing, I would actually look at, I mean, you've already, you already had Sue and Karen on. So the ELT teacher to writer series is, is one that I would immediately go to. So even if you're not writing, I think for editors as well, books in that series are really useful for ideas and things that you need to think about when you're working with a manuscript. So right. that books from that series would be my first port of call. Um, but if you are specifically wanting to go into editing, I think a good starting point for books is one that's by Amy Einson. Mm -hmm. So maybe we'll we'll put a link to it or something. See, yeah, after after it's fine, it's fine, don't worry. Yeah. So Amy Einson, it's called the Copy Editor's Handbook, and you can buy an associated workbook with it um, that's published by the University of California Press. Uh, so you could get those two books. I think that's a good starting point. It kind of takes you from ground zero of editing and you can work through some exercises to sort of get a good idea of the basics. Um, so Amy Einstein, the Copy Editor's Handbook. Also, if you're wanting to work as a freelance editor, I find the books by um, Louise Harnby very interesting. So she's always got some really great advice for editors. Um, most of her work's in fiction editing, but I do find her advice um, just as useful for right. working in, in a different field. So yeah, Louise Harnby books, I love those. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think if you really want like a list of books, we can, we can put a link to my blog post. On yeah, I will do. Books. I will do. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, so much information now to unpack. Um, it's, I definitely think it's not something that I would like to move into. Um, because? I don't know. I, it seems like a lot of time looking at the niggly parts. Um, yeah. And I like doing that, but for a short amount of time. Um, like I said, on, on the small project that I worked on, it was a very informal thing. Uh, and I just, I got tired. I, f for me, it was, I think I would much be much better at the content creation and looking at ideas and then having, getting feedback on that and, and work, working on that to, to, to something that, that could be implemented in the classroom. Um, but the going through, checking other stuff, other people's work and, and making all the changes. It was, it was a lot of work, eh? It's, it's a lot of work. Uh, and that oh, was yeah. a very, very small thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, was, it was very small. Um, so it's, imagine like if, if, the, if someone doesn't like the content, you've got to do it all again within like 48 hours. You know, it, it, it's tough, yeah. Wow, okay. So deadlines, another big thing, yeah? Yeah, yeah if, if you're yeah. not good with deadlines, then forget editing, really. <laughs> I, I think even forget writing. I mean, if you're writing for publishers, you know, yeah. they, they want people who are reliable. So Of course, yeah. Yeah. No, excellent. Well, Zoe, you have given us so much information. And uh, like you said, you know, I, I spoke to, to Karen and Sue from the MTP to Writer. And this just builds on really nicely um, and gives, you know, a, a deep perspective of another aspect in the publishing and editorial world, you know, the, the editors, the copy editing and, and proof editing area. Um, and, you know, for me, that's someone that doesn't have any experience with this. Um, but is is looking to to provide teachers, you know, with insights into it. It's it's really interesting to see how 
big this world is and how much work there is that goes into it and how important each of the people are um you know so your your role in there is it's vital in that whole process and then it, you know you look at the different roles the writer you, have, you know you have the the other editors and then and then your roles it's just it's it's a massive machine that comes together to create the, these projects it's really cool yeah and i think people don't realize you know you flip through a new book within seconds and you're like oh yeah um, you just don't realize how much work has gone on on all those pages yeah 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 um well so i won't keep you any longer thank you very much for your time it's been an absolute, an absolute privilege uh i do hope that we get to see each other again hopefully work on on some more projects again in the future until then i will i will let you go and hopefully survive the sweltering heat that's in the uk okay and we'll see each other again soon okay Okay, well, thank you very much. And, you know, your, your series is really great. I think that, that in itself is going to encourage other teachers to think about what content they can contribute out there as well. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for that, Zoe. Yeah? Okay, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Zoe. Bye. Okay, goodbye.